This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill, and we're back for another wonderful episode. We keep doing this for you guys, you know. I'm excited because the guests that we have today, we've had on before, and some of my favorite all-time podcasts, one being Wolves, another one being Grizzly Bears, and my all-time favorite from Dan was Mountain Lions, the Ghost Cat, and that was a lot of fun. So welcome back to the show. Ah, Happy to be back, guys. Yeah, you've had a, a lot going on lately. It's been really busy for you and the game and fish department in general. Um, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, kind of a, not much of a downtime anymore. It seems like, but yeah, that's it's, okay. It's a busy time, but we hopefully, want- uh, not too many people broke out the pitchforks and torches and started uh, chanting at your door after <laughs> your episodes with us. No, no. Luckily, um, they wait till times i'm not prepared to bring out that kind of stuff (laughs) well we really do appreciate you coming on and uh, imparting some of your knowledge that you have with us because genuinely patrick and i are curious about these things we are intrigued and we do want to know what's going on and what changes are happening oh that's great and listeners always enjoy them because you bring in the science side of it you know you talk about managing for the species what's important to the species and today we're going to finally kind of bring all the big carnivores together and get into black bears yeah yeah so So if you guys haven't heard of any dan's episodes previously pause right now (laughs) go back go listen to those three others we talked about and then go ahead and continue because i think it will flow a little better if not you can listen to this one and then go listen to the rest of get the pitchforks and burning crosses and things like that (laughs) well i think out of all the species that we've talked about so far today's is one that is a little less controversial on the grand scheme of things right it's it's not as inflammatory as some of the others but i also think this species that we're going to talk about this bear is one of the more adaptable creatures that we've talked about yeah yeah and I, i think you bring about a good point um black bears it's not like they're forgotten, but they're they're just part of the landscape that, that don't gain the scrutiny and notoriety, I guess, whether it's good or bad as compared to like grizzly bears or lions, things like that. And um but but the good thing is we've seen a lot more interest from the public just in black bears in general, black bear hunting and as an agency we've used that momentum to better understand our black bear populations and, and you know, promote what we're seeing on the ground as far as hunting and overall population demographics. And so mm-hmm. knowing that uh, it's it's exciting for me to have more interest in black bears as an animal and a, and a wildlife species in Wyoming. And one thing we have to do before we get too far into this, because I'm just chomping at the bit to talk about black bears, but just do a real quick introduction, you know, uh, your background, oh, sure. where you're from, all those kind of things, because there are people that have not heard the previous episodes <laughs> yeah, where you've done this. So if you could do that. Sure. Uh, uh, so um, I'm with the large carnivore section, which is a statewide section that's a part of the Wyoming Game and Fish Department where I'm based in Lander, Wyoming, which is down the road from where we're at right now. But where our job is to, our large carnivore section is somewhat unique in that, you know, we're, our, our job is to maintain viable populations of 
black bears, mountain lions, wolves, and while grizzly bears are still threatened, they're federal, but we're still doing all the -the on-the-ground work. So our job is to understand these animals, uh, use data to, to conserve and manage these species, and also deal with all the conflicts that are potentially there with these animals. And so it's definitely a multifaceted job. Um, there's a lot of uh, interest, and in, I always say that controversy is inherent with these species, and maybe not so much with black bears, which is kind of nice. Uh, but <laughs> um, not that there isn't sometimes. But right. but uh, so yeah, that's our job, and, and we're part of the larger game and fish family. But uh, we try to help out what's going on in different areas, and and just better understand those animals. Yeah, and so getting back to them. Black bears, it's my understanding their range is basically all the way north into Canada and then all the way down to almost like I guess around Mexico yep. there's there's populations. So they're they're very widespread. Yeah, and they're and you said this earlier, but they're extremely adaptable. Um they we have them all across North America and, and all the way to the east, of course. And so um we're seeing a resurgence of black bears across North America and so areas that where they were potentially locally extirpated or reduced in size and abundance there, they've really come back. And, and we're seeing that here in Wyoming too. We don't have like some of the densities of black bears like they do in the eastern part of the U.S. or things like that. But we have a very robust and for the most part growing black bear population throughout Wyoming. And I would attribute the black bear is akin to the grizzly as the wolf is akin to the coyote right wolves aren't as widespread as coyotes grizzly bears never aren't. thought of it that way yeah. but i mean those two species the wolf really garners the attention the coyote's just like yeah there's coyotes here right yeah and and i you know black bears are probably more of a generalist or considered more of a generalist than a than a grizzly bear even though they're both they're both very omnivorous but uh we do see black bears in areas and there were black bears in areas uh historically in areas where there weren't grizzly bears so uh, they have a more plant-based diet, of course. And so that, that's a good analogy. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, so. when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, your point right there of they're omnivorous. You know, when I lived in Kenai, Alaska, the black bears ate everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're up on top of the mountains eating blueberries. They're down eating salmon and everything in between. Those coastal brownies there, they pretty much focused on moose and, and salmon. Yeah, and that yeah. was or garbage in, if it was in your front well, yard. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and they're a little bit bigger and they weren't, there is something we could talk about it. And I, I want to ask right now, just cause I'm curious, you know, temperament of bears, mm-hmm. our interior, uh, Alaskan bears were much different than the coastal brownies as far as personal space, interaction, tolerance of human presence. I've seen the same thing here in Wyoming versus black bear and grizzly bear and human interaction. Why do you suppose that we have these different temperaments among, you know, in my mind, a dog is a dog is a dog, a bear is a bear is a bear, right? But you got a chihuahua that'll try and rip your face off when you go to somebody's (laughs) house and you go in there and and they've got a St. Bernard or a big lab or a great Dane and the dog might even barely lift its head off its bed to to greet you. You know what I mean? And that's the way I, I envision these smaller grizzlies is more like the chihuahua, the the mean little guy picking a fight. Right. And these big coastal brownies are just like that big great Dane going, Oh, Hey, somebody's here. Well, um, some of it is there's so much food for those coastal bears that they're a lot more, I think they're just more tolerant. You know, they, you see them in those congregations of bears, dozens of bears, but there's so much food for them that they, they're more tolerant of each other. Whereas we don't, we don't really see that with the, the grizzly bears here. 
And then there's the whole dominance hierarchy um, in areas with where grizzly bears and black bears are in the same area. We see black bears are obviously subordinate to grizzly bears. And, you know, from for the most part, black bears are not necessarily skittish, but um, wary of people as far as, and grizzly bears are more aggressive is what we see here in Wyoming. And so some of that is just based on, you know, the overall evolutionary scale where black bears, uh, their defense mechanism was to run away or climb a tree. And that's why they're more associated with forested terrain. Grizzly bears were also a prairie species and uh, they didn't have much of a, when it comes to fight or flight, they didn't have much of flight they just did fight. <laughs> so, um, so we still see that, that aggressive nature coming through with, with grizzly bears and, and you mentioned it before, but we see, you see that with the, the higher up on the dominance hierarchy, uh, the more bold these animals are. And just from like a capture standpoint, you brought in the coyote wolf thing. It's a lot harder to catch a coyote than it is a wolf. Wolves it is more bolder. And it's and, even harder to catch a fox than it is a coyote. And, but, and that's what, what we'll get into it with some of these things, you know, the, the, the higher up on the scale, those are, those animals are the more bold they might tend to be. And, might not really care too much about a human presence as far as we see with some grizzly bears. Now, it's also different depending on the amount of human activity and, and where those bears have lived through time. And, and we're definitely seeing, you know, black bears in general, again, they're they're more wary of people and usually they're going to go the other way if if they're, they run into a person. But we're, we're seeing more, more human use of black bear habitats in Wyoming and what we've seen the last couple of years is unfortunately some negative behaviors with black bears associated with people, which are a direct result of them getting food from people. But um, I'm not going to blame the black bears for that necessarily. And, and just uh, so that, I mean, we have the ability to positively or negatively impact that bear behavior as human beings. And so we try to do that. There's that statement, a fed bear is a dead bear, yeah. right? I mean, once they figure out a free meal, they're coming back. Yeah, it's tough. And uh, it's, <laughs> we're before the podcast, we we're just talking about some of the ramifications of the last few years in COVID. And uh, we've seen directly some highly food conditioned black bears that exhibiting dangerous behavior. That It's pretty uncommon for black bears to be as aggressive to gain food from people, like literally taking backpacks away from people, taking food from them. And they don't, they're not born and raised that way. And so they figured that out. And we really saw a, multiple occurrences this last, last summer and like right out of the gate, like in June when they're, when they're out of the den doing these. And I can only attribute that to, they learned it the previous summer and it just was never reported or didn't. And then they came out and realized that's an easy way to get food. And so, and we're kind of skipping all over the place. I realize, <laughs> but, no, that's all right. It's all but, good. Um, you know, that's, that's the one thing we see with, with black bears and these animals are very smart, uh, as far as obtaining foods, they are very much a generalist and they'll, whatever they can do to get calories they'll get, but they're also, they're not above an easy meal, put it that way. And you mentioned <laughs> that with garbage. Um, and what, what happens with, especially with black bears is that when they get into that food condition behavior can escalate really quickly. And we generally don't see a lot of scenarios with dangerous black bears, but we've seen more lately because of, I think because of this food condition behavior. Yeah. It, it's kind of interesting. You talk about 
them going after garbage, different things. My very first interaction with a black bear was at a camp in Colorado and right outside my window of my cabin was the dumpster. And I remember one morning I woke up, I heard this noise and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I look out the window and down just right next to me is this black bear and he's trying to get in the garbage can. And, uh, I didn't know what to do. I'd never seen a bear before. I was pretty scared. I was like, Oh crap, there's a bear. And, uh, the camp counselor, you know, he was able to, you know, yell at it and it took off and whatever. But I remember, remember that as a little kid, just being a little unnerving and, you know, as I've grown up been other times I've seen them, but most of the time it's where they're coming down to like trash or something like that. You see them in campground areas and and those kind of things because they are opportunistic, just like any animal. And you talked about that with uh, grizzlies too. They're the same way. Like Mm -hmm. if they know they can get an easy meal, they're going to do it because food's hard to come by in Wyoming. And so they're going to go after whatever they can get. But I want to go back to something you talked about before, as far as the temperament, we were Mm -hmm. talking about the temperament of the two, a grizzly bear, a black bear. When I was a kid, I went to game and fish training on, you know, what do you do if you run into a bear? It was like bear aware training, I think sure. is what it was called back then. And it probably still is. Yeah. Um, but I remember going to LCCC and uh, sitting through this seminar and the guy was talking about how if you have an encounter where you're charged by a grizzly bear, it's better to play dead. And if, you know, if you can't deploy spray or whatever, you know, you get down on the ground and you play dead. With the blackberry, you said you fight for your life. <laughs> and so I was wondering if you could kind of talk to that and also talk about you know, I was thinking about the situation this summer with those boys from Powell that fought back with that grizzly bear. I think they probably would have incurred less damage had they just done kind of what I was taught, you know, play dead, don't mess with the bear. Yeah. You know, but black bears is, I mean, is that true? You have to fight back? Well, it's not as easy as that black and white, but sure. But definitely, um, you know, grizzly bears are much more defensive of personal space and their food and, and young and black bears are as well. But again, they're more skittish. And so those defensive attacks on a person that we see, which most of the attacks on people or anything that results in injury is, is a defensive attack. And we just don't see that with black bears. You usually see them going the other way. You know, if, if they feel threatened, they're going to run. And a grizzly bear feels threatened in those defensive situations. They're still going to charge you. They might hit you or something like that. And that's why um, we switch it to drop and cover because play dead has a kind of a negative connotation <laughs> to it. Okay, drop um, and cover. <laughs> but but uh, that's the grizzly bear's defense mechanism is is to neutralize the threat. The black bear's neutralization of a threat is to go the other way or go up a tree. And and so we don't see those scenarios play out as much unless it's a predatory black bear. And that predatory behavior is extremely rare. But when it does happen, and the same as with the grizzly bear, you want to fight back. But we do see... And it's a, it's a numbers game. There's more black bears, so the potential is there. But we have seen more predatory attacks in, in a lot of other areas. Uh, Colorado's had multiple. That urban interface has really increased in amazingly good bear habitat as well. So we're seeing a lot more of these habituated bears and conditioned bears. That's where that bold behavior can lead to these more, more along the lines of a predatory attack. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's where you would fight back with a black bear. It's just it's very abnormal for a bear to attack a person in a defensive manner. Uh, the only time I've really seen been charged by a black bear and it was really rare. I was on horseback and we went through this same huckleberry patch for a week straight on horses. And there was a, there was a female grizzly bear with two cubs. You see her, see them almost every day. And 
that day, I think we were just a little bit later in the day to get there. And I was the last horse in the string and got between the, the female and her cubs. And she uh, charged the yeah. horses, which is like unheard of. Even for grizzly bears, you usually don't mess with them. But it was just to protect those cubs. And literally, and the horses didn't see it, thank God. <laughs> we had a rack <laughs> on our hands. Uh, but I was, I was back on a lower switchback, and I kind of watched it. It's kind of neat to watch. And basically, the cubs went up the tree, and... The female saw that the, there was no threat. She like, sat down right next to the trail and started eating. And so then I had to kind of coax her to get off the trail so I could get back with the horse. But again, that's the only time I've seen that happen. It was right because right between her and her cubs. And so generally they don't they don't act in that defensive, aggressive manner that a grizzly bear does. Yeah, I was just curious about that because going through that seminar, they made that kind of clear that, you know, if, if a black bear is chewing on you, it's probably yeah, not good. exactly. Yeah, we just don't see that behavior in a bear unless it's predatory and that. And again, we've seen an uptick in that in North America, not so much Wyoming, but I think just with increased black bear numbers by and large and across all of the continent and more human use that that potential is there. I don't have the exact figures, but it, it's something like 80% of grizzly bear maulings are non-fatal. Oh, yeah. Yep. And 80% of black bear maulings are fatal. Yeah, it's it's definitely because it's usually that predatory mm-hmm. behavior that we see. And um, you know, every agency handles it differently, but there's there seems to be more tolerance for black bear conflict behavior in certain areas because of... They're, they're not considered as dangerous until you get to that point. But um, I guess we, we try not to let it get to that point, put it that way. So how is the uh, population of black bears doing in Wyoming? Uh, very good. Um, we have, you know, we don't have a, a number of black bears across the state, but we're working on that. Uh, we started in 2013. Uh, we started implementing some, some DNA hair snare monitoring where we go in and put out a grid and collect hair and it allows us to get a density of an area. Now, and are you using barbed wire yep. to put those grids out and just put it about? Because I found a couple places where there's one strand of barbed wire about you know waist shoulder high. Yep. Is that yep. what it's that right, is? Yeah, exactly. And um, and then there's like a blood lure in the middle, so it's not a food reward. It's just something they smell, and they'll go and check it out, and then they'll leave a little chunk of hair, and we go in and clean those out on a weekly basis, and do that throughout the course of the summer in a grid approach and that allows you to actually quantify the density of bears in an area. And so the think the thought process there is that we're doing that across the state in a systematic approach and then revisit these areas in say five to 10 years and look at how that um, coincides with our harvest data where we look at the population trend and we're able to convey what's going on in a population based on what we see on the ground as far as harvest this is a great way to ground truth that. And, um, and it's, it's, that's the future of bear management in Wyoming is that we'll continue to do that across the state. And, uh, you know, potentially I would like to do this with grizzly bears, uh, get a, a point in time estimate for grizzly bears in the GYE. I think that is probably what eventually we'll have to do. There's enough consternation as far as numbers. I think that would let us start from ground zero, but I like this, this approach and we've, been able to make it more efficient and that that really helps the local people talk about what's going on with their bear populations as well so when you're doing these obviously you're probably going to get grizzly bear in the grizzly areas right you're yeah. going to pick up hair from that so is that pretty common that you're also getting data well, on we your grizzlies we well? haven't done it in an area with grizzly bears yet oh, okay and so um but that's 
that was, I think that's the, my thought process is that as we've, we've made this process more efficient and smaller grid cells, uh, we looked at this whew, probably a decade ago as far as trying to do a hair snare type of an estimate for the GYE. And it was, we estimated $13 million and it was just unreal to be able to do it based on the technology. But since then there's been a lot of efficiencies gained and, uh, the, the reality of actually doing it on the ground is, is out there. And so I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but it's, I think something that could be in the future for, for that area. And then yes, if it was an area where grizzly bears and black bears co-occur, we would be able to basically a two for one type of a deal, but we have done it in the Grays river and we did it in the big horns and did not pick up any grizzly bears, which is mm-hmm. very important for people to know because <laughs> everybody thinks there's grizzly bears there. And, um, but the other places we've done it, we have not picked up those other animals. But they seem to be working that direction. I mean, and I think eventually they'll be there. I, I mean, just... across the board, grizzly bears are expanding for sure. And uh, we're seeing them in places they haven't been for hundreds of years. Yep. Now, how about black bears on a micro scale, just the state of Wyoming? Are they expanding? Are they across the state? What, yeah, where are they kind of ranging? They... Um, they have expanded, and just in my tenure here in Wyoming, um, we've seen expansion in some of those areas east of the Bighorns. We're starting to pick up more bears in that country. The Ferrises, the Seminoles, areas like that east of here. So we have seen some expansion between and among mountain ranges, and there's a couple that have shown up in the Black Hills. And so we have seen expansion of black bear populations in Wyoming. And we don't have... Um, well, it's not for me to say what's good or bad black bear habitat, but it's not the prolific berry producing habitats that some areas get where they're, they're where they can get really big densities, but they're going to have to be more carnivorous in some of those areas just yeah, because and, they and don't have that berry resource. Exactly. And, and just, you just won't see the densities that you do in some of those areas as well. Yeah. I remember growing up near Cheyenne, if you go to that little pile of rocks is what I call yep. it in between there and Laramie. Yeah, Vita Vu. That area had quite a few bear dens and you'd find bear scout in there because yep. there's a lot of black bears in there, but yep. there's also forage, you know, they have yeah. a fair amount of stuff to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've seen that, um, you know, basically with regulation and management of these species, we've seen an expansion of black bears and other carnivores in Wyoming. So speaking, I mean, we're, we're kind of on black bears, but I, I want to know how well do grizzly bears and black bears coexist i mean oh, there's a obviously question. a hierarchy there but yeah and so obviously grizzly bears are the dominant one in that and what what we've seen and it's been a while since we've we've looked closely at this but research has shown that in areas with grizzly bears and black bears that black bears are more active during the day uh, and so they live in the same area but they those black bears you know, it's a spatial temporal thing. When grizzly bears are not as active, black bears are more active. I mean, if there's if there's a choke cherry bush that a grizzly bear is in, the black bear is not going to try to go get those choke cherries. So they find other places to go. But um, that is that is a question we get from a lot of black bear hunters, and it's something we might look try to look into in the future to see what kind of changes we've we could see. But right now, we see that they basically figure out ways to live on the same landscape, just in a different using different different habitats, using the same habitat in different ways. Do you see a lot of predation of grizzly bears on black bears? You know, we really don't. I mean, it, it, ha- it happens, it can, can happen, happen yeah. but but there's not so much of that just because black bears are wary enough. and um, They're going up a tree and getting Yeah, away. exactly. And I mean, 
unless it's a really desperate grizzly bear, it's just going to look up at the black bear and probably keep going, <laughs> most likely. Yeah. So, yeah, just kind of following along on that, like I know there's been some videos people have found, like, you know, grizzlies going after black bears in a den. Yep. You know, and it's pretty wild, but like, does a black bear even have a chance fighting back against? you know, a grizzly bear, like size wise in Wyoming. I know it varies. Like if you go to Vancouver Island, bear, yeah. if you go to Vancouver Island, those black bears are big enough to hold their own against just about anything. Sure. But, but a Wyoming black bear, I just don't know what that would look like. I mean, again, if it's a young grizzly bear going up against an old mature male black bear, the male black bear might, would have the, would have the upper or higher ground on that one. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, just behaviorally, a grizzly bear is going to be more dominant than a black bear. And that makes sense. Yeah. They've got the attitude. <laughs> That's for sure. It's that chihuahua mentality. It's got to act tough, right? <laughs> they got to act tough no matter where they're at. Yeah. Uh, what is, I mean, when we talked grizzly bears a little bit, we talked about their dietary and we found that, you know, they're kind of ungulate predominant, especially in the GYE. What is, what's the makeup of a black bear's diet kind of annually? Uh, you know, the, very high in vegetation and so the black bears uh, definitely follow green up and grizzly bears do too uh just gye grizzly bears are have more meat in their diet but it's not all meat and so um both black and grizzly bears are definitely following that especially that fresh green up just like ungulates do those the, the early green up has high nutrients and so they follow that and they, you know, they try to time their den emergence with as that fresh green forage. And then as that progresses up the mountain, then they move up and, and do that. Uh, you know, black bears also do a lot of digging and eating of grubs and things like that as well. And in certain areas we see black bears probably uh, keying in on gut piles a little more. In the GYE, it's more the grizzly bears are the top dog there. So, I mean, black bears will take it, but again, any type of a food source like that, they'll they'll take as well. They're they're very opportunistic. How about calves? Uh, you know, a little bit. Um, not so. We haven't seen it much in Wyoming. Uh, there's other. I know in in areas of really high black bear densities and uh, like the western coast, but in California there was some neonate studies with deer where black bears were taking neonates and uh, all the work that we've done or the university's done it, at least with deer. We haven't really seen much predominance of, of, of calves or fawns in black bear diet. I mean, it can happen. And that's really the only time that, especially black bears are, are acting in a predatory fashion is, is when there's neonates available. It's just, it's not a very predominant food source in Wyoming. And in this part of the state, I've seen them, you know, up in Sinks Canyon eating choke cherries. Choke cherries are huge. They yeah. love those yep. things. So is that like the main part of the diet for the black bear, at least in our area to get them through the winter time? Well, in the fall, um, you know, I think this, this past summer was very interesting with those. We had some very fortunate moisture events in mid to late summer. And we were kind of expecting, cause it, we hadn't had a terrible year <laughs> in a while as far as conflicts with black bears go. But I think those fortuitous rains, kept things green and we saw a really good berry crop. And so, yeah, black bears are really do key in on berry crops, whether it's even the grouse wortle berries, there's, they're little, but there's, if there's a good crop of them, they can just lay in an area and eat them all. We definitely see a lot of choke cherries hit 
Um, and you know, that can be an issue because a lot of times if the, if it dries up on the mountain really quick, there's choke cherries down, uh, along people's houses and things like that. So some years we do have issues with that. And, um, and one thing, you know, we've done a lot of work with local, uh, honey producers because the, the bears will key in on, on those, those beehives, those apiaries. And luckily we've been able to do a lot of electric fencing around those because that is something <laughs> that is one issue that we will have with with black bears is getting into those and so yeah. especially along the wind river corridor we've gotten a lot of those fenced out i well, think of yeah. you know you yogi going after picnic baskets and uh pooh bear going Winnie after, the honey. Pooh after honey, <laughs> some right? things yeah some things are i guess based in that reality there i guess yeah i mean it makes sense right it's a really good source it's a rich of, food source yeah. oh yeah, yeah i mean i'd be going after that too if i was a black bear i can't blame them there I don't like getting stung by bees <laughs> in the mouth while you're chewing up their house. <laughs> They're pretty tough though. I mean, they, they seem to handle it. Okay. But yeah. real quick, let's talk about one of our sponsors. You know, PK lures is one of the sponsors of this show. I was actually showing David and Dan a picture of a brown trout that I caught this past week fishing with one of their jigging spoons. So their jigging spoons aren't just something that you would use through the ice, even though it's ice fishing season right now. You can use the flutter fish, throw it out in open water in a stream, a river, a lake, a reservoir, let it fall. It does a fluttering action like a dying bait fish. Give it a rip. Those predatory browns and walleyes will gobble it down. So you can get those at pklure.com. You can put in PK Pro at checkout and get 15% off your order. So get get some flutter fish and get out there and wax some browns. That brown was 23 inches. He was skinny. But, boy, he was pretty. And so. Patrick's not joking. I, I don't fish as much as I hunt. And a couple times I've gone out with Patrick and just tied on a PK and let her rip. But I've caught some dandy, dandy fish relatively quickly. And if you're not catching mm-hmm. fish, move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we've figured out real quick is yeah. after after 15 minutes or so of throwing those PKs, switch a color or two, you know, yep. maybe change your, your retrieve speed. But other than that, if you haven't got, got a couple strikes, pretty quick pretty quick yeah go somewhere else go somewhere else and do something else but yeah it's a it's it's a great company again great people so get out there and check them out so in regards back to the uh, old black bear is there a time of the year that they can be more aggressive or maybe have more human conflict you know is there is there a certain time of the year that sportsmen should be more aware of bears than just all the time I hate to say there's a time they should be more aware, but we probably see more potential conflicts with black bears in that fall time period uh, when it's hyperphagia. So it kind of starts basically in August. The bears really start keying in on foods, and that's you know times when the berries are ripe and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so you know their job at that point is to put on as much fat as they can and so they're more active during that time and that's also when more people especially hunters are, are out in the field too and so that potential is there as far as a conflict scenario we also see that might be a year where we are in a drought year or we don't see the berry crop and the bear still has to eat so that might be a time we'll see those bears start seeking alternative, alternative foods food yeah. and, and, uh, and that's what with, yeah with with black bears it, it's a lot more driven by that natural food source if there's if something happens bad where they're where they're normally at and they don't get the normal vegetative foods that they do during the course of the summer we'll see them 
start showing up in lower areas where there's foods like choke cherry. Maybe they came down there because there's choke cherries, but then they figure out, oh, there's also garbage and all these other things for them or pet food left out, things like that. And mm-hmm. so that, that late summer, early fall time period is when we generally might see an issue with that. Unless like this last summer we had some bears that came out of the den food condition, but that, I think that was more of an anomaly. So <clears throat> let's talk about their mating. Cause I was reading something on black bears that I thought was kind of interesting that they mate kind of earlier, like in the late spring, early summer, but implantation doesn't yep. happen until later. Can you explain that? Cause I, I yeah, didn't it's, quite a, get that. it's delayed implantation. It's a evolutionary trait that black bears have and, and mustelids have too. So the weasel family um, where they, yeah, they'll, it's, it's a way to time your birth basically. And also make sure you have enough food resources or fat resources to, to give birth. And so they mate in that June time period, uh, the females go into estrus and that's when the mating occurs for black bears and grizzly bears. And then, uh, it's fertilized, but it's not implanted until the fall. And then that way, basically, in fact, what what's today's date? I mean, most all black bears and grizzly bears that are being born are being born like in a week from now. So mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing that the timing of that is very spot on in late January. And then, um, and then also it's based on the the fat reserves, how many cubs if they have cubs, and then that way they all come out at the same time. Versus like we see that different with some animals, you know, even, even ungulates, deer and elk, they might miss the first cycle. So we have late fawns and, you know, lions can, they can breed all throughout the course of the year. So we see birth pulses, but with black bears, they're like all born at the same time. I thought that was really interesting because I didn't realize that. I was yeah. Like, it's kind oh, of a neat evolutionary trait. Yeah. I was like, I got to ask about that because I didn't, yeah. did not know. And well, and I, I mean, it's, it goes in line with the fact that they evolved to, to basically sleep all winter when food resources aren't there. And so uh, that that delayed implantation helps with that notion of hibernating during the the winter as well. And so when a when a bear cub is born, how big are they? I mean, are, are they really really small? Like I know I was they're like a pound, a pound. But and then they'll start nursing automatically right in the den. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Mom's, they're cute little mom's buggers, still yeah. asleep. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Because everybody thinks it's bear. It must be this huge baby. But I mean, just a, a cub being only a pound, that's pretty small. Yeah, it's radio, so I can't yeah. see my hands. But they fit in the palm of your hands. Um, and we do oh. some den work on black bears. We do not on grizzly bears, but um, we will do some den work on some of these areas where we've done the hair snare work. Uh, we'll go in and collar bears before we do the hair snare just to get an idea of their home range, and then we can set up our grid size. And that's one thing after doing this in multiple areas, we do, we don't have to collar an animal in order to put out the correct grid size. So that's less invasive now, but when we do have them marked, uh, we will go in on those dens and either replace collars or see if they had offspring and just kind of quantify that. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, you get gratuitous bear cub picks that are really cute in the den, but it doesn't bother them. Yeah. They wake up, but they, we put them back together and then they come out in the spring. So do they typically have two two to three yep. two to three yep. and that's standard like yeah most of the time right mm-hmm. so on our bear bait we got a bear bait up above sinks canyon there had it for years um we had a bear repeated year after year after year he actually had an ear tag came in and found out that he'd been uh uh trapped at the lander dump oh yeah <laughs> collared and tagged and hauled up and no dropped kidding. off yeah. and i mean we were targeting this bear specifically because he was huge yeah i mean he dwarfed every other bear but he was extremely nocturnal mm-hmm. 
I mean, I think we had four years of consecutive trail camera pictures on the bait of this bear. Uh, year three or four, he actually lost the ear tag. You, yeah, you know, fight, you out, could see yeah. it ripped yeah. out. But how, what is, I mean, because, I, and I, I'm a little off of my dates, but it was like six or eight years prior to that 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 bear had been collared, tagged, and moved. Probably a, a young adolescent, right? Sure, yeah. And he had never got back in trouble that we know of, right? You guys didn't know about Correct. him, right? Yeah, yeah. How long would a bear like that live? Because assuming that he was probably six, it was six years prior when we before we first saw him on our trail camera, he was probably three or four, maybe two, but yeah. he wasn't one, right? Yep, yep, yep. So I'm, I'm saying he was three, six years, he was nine when we first saw him. So he was in the early teens when we no longer saw him anymore. How long in the wild, you know, in kind of that habitat is a bear going to live? What's an average lifespan? You know, we'll, we'll see them into their 20s, young 20s, and they could get older. Uh, we've seen grizzly bears just over 30, which is pretty rare, but grizzly bears will definitely live into their mid to late 20s. Uh, black bears, we don't have as much data on them, but they'll they'll live over 20. And, um, you know, what we see through time is their teeth start to wear down and through time. And then that's where that omnivorous lifestyle allows them to live potentially longer because they don't have to catch their prey like a wolf or a lion does if they lose their teeth. But, uh, you know, we see those those bears, they'll start senescing potentially in late teens, early 20s for black bears. But, um, yeah, they're, they're a long-lived animal. And that's, that's, that's why we mark all those animals if they're involved in a conflict. But... Uh, depending on that situation, you know, it was just a bad place, wrong place, wrong time. It's cool that he was able to be moved or and, and seen through time. And bears aren't always, uh, especially grizzly bears, I've heard, you know, the relocations aren't always as successful. They, they kind of tend to show back up on the yeah, same ranch, right? Yeah, actually, yeah, uh, they have a, a real strong homing behavior. So we'll move them across as far as we can, and they'll come right back sometimes. And the relocations for grizzly bears worked 20 years ago or more when there the was density was low. Yeah, but it's just it's a food, tougher thing. Yeah. Food was more plethorable, right? Yeah, and, and a lot of times you'll move a bear so you can secure an attractant. And so when it comes back, it doesn't have that. And so we still will do that, but it's just tougher. And, um, you know, these with the black bears, uh, if they're involved in any type of human conflict, we're, we're less apt to move them, quite honestly, just because, because we know it doesn't work that well with them. And... Um, we don't have the constraints of ESA protections and things like that. Well, I'll dig and we up have the a robust population too. Yeah. I'll dig up pictures and we'll find his number and you can go get there, some yeah, more data if you, on Yeah, if you have the number, I can tell you whatever happened with that bear and we can see how old he was, yeah. That would be interesting to find out and just kind of get some it's, get some details on him. You know, you cool. mentioned the, the cameras on baits. It's a lot of people, especially if they've been bear hunting for a long time, they kind of get over the killing part and they just like to look at those and that, that we have people that'll have um, bear family groups come back and have the same color cubs through time and things like that. That's it's kind of cool. neat to just to see that through time. No, I, I really enjoy bow hunting over a bait for black bear. It's, yeah. and it's, you mentioned it, it's not about a harvest. I mean, I, I deeply, deeply want to shoot a grizzly bear. I'm, I get to go this spring to uh, Kodiak and go yeah. grizzly bear hunting, right? And we'll, we'll leave the grizzly bear hunting out of here for this. We're, we're on black we, bears. We've covered that. Yeah, go to that, <laughs> but, go to that but podcast. I'm going to go back to, you know, for me, hunting black bears over a bait, I, I kind of like to take the, the DLSR camera and get the trail cam pictures. And it's no longer about getting a bear, right? If yeah. a, If a... If a sub adult comes in or a sow with cubs, it's not, she, she gets to live, right? It's 
I'm looking either for that uber old big bear or a really cool color phase. And I'm more about, I just want to take pictures and sure. and, and be 20 yards away from a bear and he doesn't know you're there. Right, is, yeah. It's something creepy when, when you're sitting in that tree stand, you're almost falling asleep and all of a sudden you catch movement because you don't hear anything. Yeah. You hear nothing. Mm-hmm. And here comes this bear floating in and then the barrel starts <laughs> moving and the logs start moving and your eyes fool you two or three times. You have to look down and go, is that really, I don't hear anything. Right, yeah. They are, yeah. They are super stealthy when they want to be, especially because they're, you know, not as aggressive when they're coming into the yeah. bay. They are really wary of well, other bears. Great point, because especially in areas that, that has have grizzly bears and, you know, we don't have baiting in, in most of the areas where grizzly bears occur. But uh, because the fact that they're not necessarily the dominant one, they're pretty leery because they know there's going to be other animals around there checking it out. And like you said, the sub-adults, the females, you know, they're looking out for the big boars, which are more nocturnal. And so, yeah, just, just around that a bait site, the, you can sit and watch all these little, little behavioral, social things occurring with these bears. Those, those sub-adults or those the sow with cubs will tell you when another big bear is coming before you even, oh, they, yeah, they yeah. know that other they bear know. is there. Sure, sure. they do. Yeah. Even I baited a little bit on Kenai, Alaska, and it was uh, on the, uh, it was legal on the refuge. You could go through their class and get a permit and mm-hmm. get a, a bait square, but you could only harvest black bears. Yeah, and yeah. so I have all these trail cameras and footage of grizzly. And one thing I did to deter <laughs> the grizzlies was on my steel drum, I cut about an eight and a half inch hole. Yeah. So the, those big coastal brownies couldn't even get their paw oh, yeah. in the bait, yeah, right? Yeah. They sat there and smacked the side of my barrel and crushed it like a beer can. Just, oh yeah, <laughs> you can see it in the pictures. After three or four weeks, the barrel kept getting smaller and smaller because yeah. they'd smack it hard enough, and a little bit of the bait would sure. shake yeah. out. <laughs> but what was very interesting is, predominantly those big, big males would come in right at daylight, right at dark. The big coastal brownies and the black bears were in there at noon, yep. full sun, noon. Yeah. They'd run in, they'd eat, they'd run out because. If yeah, that exact like we reason, saying, yeah. they, they don't want to have that conflict with mm-hmm. a brown bear at the bait. No, and then in what we see is if one of those big black bears hear those dominant males, if people can be patient enough to wait till the females go into estrus, that's when they get dumb <laughs> and they start showing up. <laughs> at, and more, and now they're not nocturnal as much. And so that's when, you, and we get some really nice, there's a really good black bear hunting right here. You know, right up in the winds, right here above Lander. Yeah. So what he's saying, guys, is that last couple of weeks of season, wait, wait, and pass the little bears. Yeah, until the till towards the end of season, they become less nocturnal and more active. Well, and that that's the the good part about baiting is it allows for selectivity, and it it basically, you know, we protect females with young and dependent young, and if you have time to look, you can you can tell the and and then those animals aren't even available for harvest, and so and. It's it's tough to sit and watch, you know, especially if you're new it's, to it's it. Fun. But, but it's fun when you're new to it. It's tough, but yeah. once you've done it a while, it's like, oh, but, I got to take these but pictures. If, if you have the patience for it, um, and we've increased a lot of our limits that it's to still maintain stable populations, but there is that chance to give it that extra effort, and maybe a larger male will come in, which is what most people are seeking. So, can you talk about the management of the bears using hunting? I mean, we're kind of you know, moving over into the hunting part of this because that's what David loves. And I'm curious about just because I don't, sure. I don't bear hunt, but you know, as a management tool, why is hunting a good one? Why is it something that's so popular? It's, it's gaining popularity. I think there's a lot more people that are just interested in, in a black bear as a, as an animal to, to go out and hunt. You know, it's kind of a new idea. 
it's a different mindset than going out and getting your elk. And I think it, it also there's a learning curve because a lot of the a lot of the hunting with black bears is, is in the spring. It's associated with spring hunting. So you gotta think spring hunting like turkeys. You're spring hunting with for black bears, and so there's a learning curve there. But it's it's fun and it's an, it's a different time to be in the woods, and you get to see mm-hmm. a lot of cool things, and um, and the meat is really good, and so there's more interest in that. And then you also get a really cool hide with it, and basically we see that that hunting is something that that's how we quantify what's going on in a population. And until again, until 2013, we had no other insight into black bears other than our hunting information. So we look at the proportion of harvest, what what's coming in for adult males and females. And then as you get into a population, what you'd expect to see as far as proportions of males and females and ages. And so that's, that's actually how we assess the population. And, and we've changed from, We've changed from basically no regulations, obviously, to regulations of harvest and and using that data to to manage for differing levels of the population. But by and large, again, we're seeing stably increasing populations in most areas. And we still, again, we have a very active conflict management program to deal with the problem individuals. And as far as not using just hunting to deal with that, we deal with the problem individuals. If we can put a hunter on a conflict situation, we will do that. But it's more about having a chance to go out in the woods, have have another animal that, that you can hunt, and also view and just see out in the woods at a different time of year maybe than you would be out there. Yeah, and I know the bear is really good. I had a friend who harvested one a couple of years ago. We were on a memorial trip, you know, camping trip mm-hmm. in Glendo, and he's like, have you ever had black bear steak? And I'm like, no, I've never had black bear steak, and he, he got some out, and we did surf and turf cause I just caught a bunch of walleye. So oh, nice. we had walleye and then we had, you know, some black bear steaks and that was excellent. I was, yeah, I was a, really surprised at how good it was. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to cook it. And, uh, and I mean, we, in that small time period, we did have a grizzly bear hunt going. We had mandatory orientation and training for the hunters and we actually provided recipes and talked about how to cook bear meat. And so, there's a lot of information out there. It's been in Wyoming wildlife mm-hmm. as well. And so um, it's just, it's, it's another, it's another wildlife species that that's there for, for viewing, for photography, but also for, to hunt consumption. And, and consumption. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's something that, that I think is gaining interest. Uh, American Bear Foundation is having their banquet this Saturday in Cody with Wyoming Wildlife Federation. And uh, that, that's that that group has grown to a American Bear Foundation from Western Bear Foundation, and they do a lot of on the ground work. And we're just seeing an increased interest in bear hunting. I mean, it's it's more than doubled since in the last twenty years, and the amount of harvest has doubled as well. And yet, we have more bears. Yes, we do. <laughs> Wait, well, that's a, that's a little contradictory. How, how are we? How do we have more bears if we have more bears harvested? It's a great question. People forget animals reproduce sometimes, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, and, you know, the hunters are really focused on the bears that are kind of on their way out anyway, and that, that helps too, right? Like it's, yeah. David's talked about this at length, you know, with big bull elk versus a young bull elk, and, you know, you can look at it across a lot of different species, but yeah, it's it's something that when I was younger, I never really considered, but then I hear people talking about harvesting bears and 
having the steaks, which were really good. Mm -hmm. Bear oil, using that yeah, to cook yeah. with, and I guess it's excellent. I, I Best have a pie couple, crust in the world, yeah. yeah. I have a couple bear rugs, and they're kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot more to a bear than you really would typically think, because when I think of going and harvesting something to eat, I think elk, antelope, deer, those kind sure. of things, right? But yeah, a bear's another great option, just like we talked about on the mountain lion episode. Mountain lion's good, too. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, there's, there's more options than we normally consider. And there, there's definitely, this has been talked about and drilled on other podcasts, but there's a hierarchy of, you know, Patrick puts a picture of a walleye on there or a rainbow trout, or we put a picture of a turkey or move on to a deer or an elk. It's still, okay, that's food, right? Yeah. All of a sudden you put a picture with a cat or a, a bear, right? A predator. And now it's like, well, wait a second, that's not food, right? And there's, there's definitely a societal kickback for harvesting yeah. predators for yeah. sure. But that bear steak that I had, I'll tell you. That was excellent. I was I was really impressed with it. Now, I think we do need to talk about this because cooking bear, you have to be a little more careful than you do with maybe cooking. Yeah, it, uh, the suggestion is to to cook it all the way through, uh, non non rare bear meat, basically because so of trichinosis. Because of trichinosis, yeah. And so for those just the of, different things they eat because they eat a lot of different things. So yeah. those of you who don't know, it's the same thing with pork. Yep. You have to be really careful because of what they eat. You can get some some nasties in your system and make you very sick. So you have to cook bear all the way through. There, there's a good example. Stephen Ronella Steve yeah. <laughs> was on, uh, I think it was, uh, I think he was out of Kenai, Alaska, actually. Was, yeah. And they were trying to cook bear steak over a fire, willow, and didn't get it hot enough. And they're like, ah, it's close enough, and ate it. And they all, mm -hmm. they all got very sick for quite a while. And so why does that That's happen? Is, is that when they're kind of like with pigs, when they're getting stuff out of the ground? It, yeah, it, it's that, like I said, do they they eat a lot of different things, and so yeah. it's a it's a function of of what they eat, um, and especially a, a, an animal that's that has a propensity for scavenging has the ability to pick up things. I don't know if you guys saw last week. I think it was put out that there were some grizzly bears in Montana that had avian bird, yeah, avian died influenza, yep. and that's been seen. With other scavenging, like foxes pick it up a lot, and there's when there's hundreds of dead geese or something, and then that that get, it cycles through them, you know, as the eating of the the dead animal, and so that's mm -hmm. just a, a function of what they eat and the scavenging. So if I had a chunk of bear meat here and said, Dan, prepare this, like, which way would you have it? <laughs> How would you want to eat bear? That's not fair because just because <laughs> I would might want to eat it more rare. No, I would cook it all the way through. So 165 degrees. 100, exactly. Yeah. Um, no pink bear meat, please. Right, yeah. Yeah. I would probably actually slow cook it and then maybe throw it on the grill afterwards. Okay. I do a lot of, uh, the instant pot has changed my life <laughs> because <laughs> I can many put, put frozen meat in there. So I do a lot of, uh, um, with game meat, I do a lot of like shaved, like, Philly cheesesteak type things, Italian beef, but with elk or pronghorn or whatever. So mm -hmm. that sounds good. I've been big on meatballs lately, ground pork and elk and bear. And I haven't tried it with lion. That would be really good. Mm. But the white meat, you have to do a little different. So yeah, anyway. <laughs> a little different feed, right? Yeah. I was just thinking about high mountain seasonings because that's one of the things that we used on the bear meat. Mm. So the bear steak, we actually had this steak seasoning that they make. It's kind of a general mm -hmm. all-purpose steak seasoning. I think it's labeled an elk steak <laughs> thing. But anyway, we had it on that bear, and it was awesome. And High Mountain Seasonings makes something for everything. Like, one of the things I've been doing lately is, like, you take a roast. You know, it could be an elk roast, uh, you know, uh, beef or whatever. 
and put on they they have like a brisket you know type or it's not not brisket no it's prime rib or prime rib rub oh you, you, you know you put that on there about 20 minutes before you want to start cooking and then i sear the outside of it put it in the slow cooker leave it all day oh my gosh that stuff is mm. so good you just pull it apart and put it on whatever you want to want to do but anyway High Mountain Seasoning is another great sponsor. You can go to himtnjerky.com to get some High Mountain Seasonings. Help support Hans and the guys. We really appreciate them. And um, you'll, you'll really appreciate what you get to eat. And, and once once you try yeah. it once, uh, you'll, you'll be putting a bigger order in. Yeah. I'm not even part of this that, but I use it for the, <laughs> the jerky I make. I love it. The oh, different so flavors. Good. So good. We, we harp and, and, you know, promote our sponsors pretty good all the time and, and tell them, you know, Tell everybody how good of products they have, and yeah, I'm the guy in the street interview that was not being <laughs> not part of it. That I, I do, I use it um, once I started and cooking it in the oven for, instead of dehydrating is what I do. That that was a game changer for me when oh, I use the high mountain season. It's yeah. so good that way, or on the smoker. You yeah. know, Dave and I both do that, and it's yeah, it's it's easy too. That's, it really is. That's yeah. the other nice part. So back to bears. Yeah. <laughs> what is the season? What is the bear hunting season in Wyoming? I'm going to put you on the spot. Yes. Uh, and so it's, it's good. We just set seasons. Um, we just met with our commission two weeks ago in Cheyenne. And, and so I'm going to at, answer this broadly. So uh, black bears and mountain lions are unique in that we set things on a three-year cycle. And that's based on the, based on the information we have is in that until more recently, all we had was harvest data. And so, that allows us to better assess trend. So three years allows you to actually have trend and evaluate your harvest objectives and what you're seeing in the harvest. And it also, from my standpoint, it allows you to get away from knee jerk reactions and, and trying to, trying to fix things through, through small changes. One and of my first uh, thoughts when you're talking about this is I've heard mountain lion hunters in Utah specifically, you know, they set the quota, they set the season, they go out and within the first two weeks, the lions are harvested. So they shut season down. It's like, oh, we're running out of lions. Yeah. And a lot of the houndsmen are like, there's more cats out there than right. there. Right. And that's why we got them so quick is, so is there that pitfall that could be set up with bears that we have too many bears and that's why we're too quickly filling the harvest quota? We, we have, we hear that from some people. Yeah. And I, I think, um, based on how we've changed our management and actually become a little more liberal in a lot of our areas, we were able to demonstrate that maybe we were a little too conservative in the past. Uh, but, but we've also shown that you can get into a population through harvest. And so we use all that information in order to, to, for the most part, maintain a stable population, maintain the social structure and things like that. And because we have that three year cycle, <clears throat> it kind of, stops us from overcorrecting one year to the next, but we have the absolute ability to change it during the three-year cycle if we need to. And, and that's one thing I still want to, you know, give kudos to Wyoming specifically, and I'll use antelope as an example. You guys go out, you fly, you do that data, you do that fawn count, and then you set mm -hmm. the quota. I'm going to throw <laughs> some other states under the bus where year to year to year to year, they won't change the quota at all oh, yeah, it yeah. stays the same and they get into a situation where they have a bad winter and an over harvest and then a dry summer and a low fawn recruitment boom all of a sudden you've got a perfect storm of you have no population to yeah. rebuild back to those optimum levels you know carrying capacity is a real thing mm -hmm. you guys are trying to 
level out the curve, right? You're yeah. never going to eliminate it. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going to have up years and down years, but you're just trying to cut off the peaks and valleys and fill them in a little bit through harvesting or not harvesting. Yeah. Right? And I, and that's true with black bears too. Um, you know, that, that's for us, it's really constrained because we do it at three years. So we want to have all the data to get out to our people and the public before we set season. So the fall of the third year is always nuts trying to get all the data compiled and analyze so we can say this is what's going on in these hunt areas. What do you want to do? Do you want to leave it? Do you want to increase it? Do you want to decrease it? Yeah, you have it? like from November to January to compile that yeah, data and it, it figure goes, out what you're going to do the next three and years. And it goes really quick, but uh, but it's nice to also have some some of those local densities and areas. We've done the hair snare work, and so um, and that's what we just did this last fall. And then we go to the public and and the changes. And you know, this year we increased limits in several areas and, and really changed some things in the Bighorn Mountains that had combined hunter areas. We split them all up based on public input. But as far as the, the timing of season, there's a spring and a fall season. And spring is more associated with uh, baiting and targeted black bear harvest. And fall, fall we still have targeted black bear harvest as well, but it coincides with the big game seasons. So there's a lot of guys that also have a tag in their pocket as well. And more so, incidental in the fall. You can still bait in the fall, correct? Yes, absolutely. And some so, people do, yep. Um, what are just, I'm not going to hold you to all of it, but what are some of the cliff notes of, if a guy wanted to get into baiting, what are, what are some do's and don'ts? Well, I mean, talk to your local game and fish people and, and we can, we can steer you in the right direction, quite honestly. And we've got a lot of information on our website, of course. And I think it's, it's more just trying to understand if you want to bait or not. And there's restrictions on baiting. That's one thing we changed this year that, that, um, I think there's some confusion uh, that we proposed to go to a single bait container, which a lot of people didn't like because they were packing in two containers. And we were fine when we changed it to two. The notion was that there was people that were just kind of putting multiple containers out there that bears were taking off and it's kind of making a trashy area. So we didn't want that. Obviously, we don't want that negative connotation with, with hunting. Mm-hmm. And so... Through the public process, we revise that, and basically it has to be no more than two containers. There's a there's a limit on the amount of bait, and then it has to be somehow you know strapped or something to to the tree, so there's not bears or other animals carrying them off. Because not wildlife are very curious, and so it's not just bears that might run off with it. Um, and there's certain areas that have restrictions as far as what kind of bait can be used, and there's areas that don't allow baiting, basically in the grizzly bear recovery area. And it's just good to know those regulations, quite honestly. We so there's a, there's a lot to it. You can't the, just... Yeah, it, yeah. It's, the guy needs to sit down and read and, and pick his area and maybe go talk to the local yeah, guy and figure out... Talk to out. local people. Call me. Um, you know, look at look at the information out there. Uh, and, you know, the spring hunt, it's important that we to know that we, you know, we don't allow females with young or dependent young to be harvested. And that's how the hunt is set up and that most of the hunt area, hunt area is closed by date on June 15th. And that's because there's more females available and we're just trying to protect that segment of the population and also looking at hides and things like that. But it's all based on the data we collect. And quite honestly, the plan, which was revised in 07, was based on research all across North America. So we're trying to incorporate as much much information as possible and data that we collect, but also we bring in the public component and societal components and things like that as well. And the other thing to keep in mind, I would say the biggest do is read the regulations, yes. you know, read through each page, make sure you're very familiar with what's going on. Again, like he said, ask questions. 
also know the difference between a grizzly bear yeah. and a black bear if you're going to hunt one of those areas where they're both at. Yeah, you and make there's a big mistake. There are, and there's a lot of information about that. Knowing what, knowing the difference between the two, and also we have stipulations in place. If a black, if a grizzly bear shows up on a black bear bay, you have to notify us and shut and, the bait down. Yep, exactly. And uh, but yeah, just look at them. I mean, our but regulations that, can be cumbersome and confusing, but we do that to protect people and protect the wildlife. We're not trying to be cumbersome. That, that, that regulation of if a grizzly bear shows up, report it and shut the bait down is to keep everybody safe, including the bear, because yeah. you're now habituating a aggressive animal. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to have a conflict with and that there grizzly. And there is ongoing litigation to stop baiting because of grizzly bears. Well, groups that are against baiting. So. Has there ever... I mean, I, I'm not in the know, and we've had a bait for years and not had an issue, but has there been some issues with that? Well, not issues, but we have had bears incidentally shot in the past over baits, basically in areas of expansion that there hadn't been grizzly bears for well over 100 years, and so that people weren't expecting it. And that's that's what changed the regulation, because the regulation didn't used to state that. You get that low-light situation where you get yeah. a big bear come in, and, and, so, and you, you know, a bear hunter uses that barrel to kind of gauge, to gauge yep. how, I mean, because it's, it's really tough to ju- judging a bear, judging sizes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about like judging antelope, right? It's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. So, uh, but, but we did, because of that, we changed our regulations in order to, they have to report it in order to make sure that doesn't happen. And it's, it's rare that it does happen, but it's important for those that are against baiting or the even notion of it is that we do change our regulations and how we do things in order to make sure those those occurrences are, are very less likely and uh, i mean when i was baiting in alaska i had to have two placard signs right mm-hmm. stating there's a bear bait in the area it had to be x distance from yep. road park tra- walking trail even just just the the actual forest service road ahead you know you can't just put it in the middle of the road yep. so to reduce same. that human conflict is same here yep so well, one thing i found funny the not a big difference but here we use a 55 gallon plastic drum right yeah pretty easy pretty standard the bears don't destroy it at all it's been the same drum the whole time up there i had a 35 gallon oil drum that i put a lid and a side on and a cross brace in the middle and those bears smashed it right (laughs) but i i did restrict the grizzly bears from getting in it and that made them even more mad right yeah but there's some differences state to state to state that because sure. I've baited in a couple states in like Oregon, they don't want you to kill a bear ever. So <laughs> yeah. they, they like their bears, but you know, it's, it's cool to see that there's some similarities. And you know, if you're interested in bear baiting, I think it's, it's a really unique way to get to engage with wildlife. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it promote. I mean, there's people that don't understand the notion of it. And I know like you in Washington's dealing with some, a ban on that but part of the reason that spring hunt is important is that selectivity and protecting that female segment of the population and they're the last ones to come out of the den so they're not as available for harvest and having a bait allows that more selectivity so is it true that adult boars will predate on young bears to put the sow back in heat yes it is true And, and we've actually seen you have to have a high density of bears for that to generally occur uh but we we've seen an increase in that with grizzly bears and the gye especially the core of the population we're seeing reduced cub survival 
and there could be multiple things going on, but I mean, there's definitely that is a factor. That is a factor. That infanticide of of dominant males killing the cubs. And so, by being selective and harvesting the big males mm-hmm. in the black bear population, we're actually reducing that and kind of making a healthier population. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, yeah. And I mean, it would be interesting. You know, when we talked about this with grizzly bears, the the notion of a hunt, and it's not as black as white as people on either side of the spectrum try to make it. Uh, but it would be very interesting to see, you know, what we might see as far as a release if some of those more dominant predating infanticide type bears were removed from the population, if we would see. I mean, it would take, it would be through time, but I think all these also, little nuances are interesting. It'd be very interesting. I mean, and now we're back to grizzly bears again. We're supposed to stay on <laughs> black bears. But seriously, I think a po- the potential of a hunt, you're going to reduce some of those more bold bears, right? Yeah. I mean, you have a potential too. The bear, the, the grizzly bear that's a little more shy or the females with cubs, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's going to make it safer for the archery elk hunter that's up there by having a grizzly bear hunt because some of the bears you're going to pull out of that population Yeah, the thought are, process is those dominant more... More bold bears would be more available for harvest. Th- they're they're going to be more available harvest because yep. they're more bold. Yep. Yeah. And then you get back into the whole counterintuitive thought of, well, you're hunting them. Obviously, you're going to reduce their population. Well, that doesn't exactly work that way on the science right, side. Yeah. You know that harvesting some of those bigger boars actually can help the population because then the young aren't get, being killed. It's just something that I think everyone needs to hear and they need to understand. And that's another reason we like to yeah, have you on the yeah. podcast to talk about it because it's, it's not a, a widespread knowledge thing. I mean, the, it's the not concert, black and white. Yeah. It's not, no. And a lot yeah. of people try to make it black and white based on their own, uh, personal belief systems, which is, it's fine. I, I understand that, but, um, it, we were having a discussion last week and it was on deer, deer management, which is obviously very, Different. Interesting nowadays. Yeah. Uh, well, it always has been. I shouldn't say nowadays, but with a lot of the changes and there's there's so many different mindsets. And I was writing in my journal that um, you can't fix ignorance or belief systems with data. <laughs> and you really can't. You know, all the data in the world can't fix changing a person's belief system. And I think a lot of that comes into play. What we see with people that are adamantly opposed to the notion of hunting a bear Um it's more about trying to make them understand the different thought processes. But no, we're not forcing anyone to hunt, but we're also not trying to extirpate an animal by hunting them. And there's a lot of, from a non-hunting community, um, there you can't explain the reverence and the respect for the animal that you are out there co- co-occurring with while you're hunting it. And that's something that that you can't explain through a podcast or anything like that. You have to experience it and Mm -hmm. we can't get everybody to experience that. But if we can get some, it's a good thing. So there's a interesting correlation going on in Africa right now. The CITES is banned importation of African lions, right? Mm -hmm. There's some arguments about whether wild lions, cage lions, whether uh, captive lions bred add any um, genetic diversity to the wild population. And, or I'm not getting to that. What I'm getting into is specifically the fact that they are now culling lions in Africa. Yeah. So you sit here and say, well, great, you know, people are cheering that you can't you can't import a, a wild African lion into the States anymore. So now you don't have any US hunters going there. Well, honestly, the only people that can afford to harvest a lion is a US hunter. Right. And so now they're bringing in fish and wildlife, they're bringing in actually the army and they're culling lions yeah. because lions eat people and there's a whole bunch of human, you know, urban expanse into lion habitat. So 
you know, this concept of we're going to ban bear hunting doesn't mean you're going to ban bear killing. Yeah. I, I, that's something that, I mean, unfortunately that's the, one of the bad parts of our job is, I mean, I, I dedicated my life to understanding wildlife and these animals and I'm one of the fortunate people that gets paid to do what I love. But part of that also means dealing with those conflict animals. And, and yeah, we haven't hunted Yellowstone grizzlies in Wyoming since before the seventies now, but yet we're still killing them every year. And not that hunting would, we, it would be a tit for tat, you know, exchange, but having that opportunity of using some hunters instead would be a great way to do it. And, you know, the, the argument of, well, you could, you know, make some revenue uh, a predator's never going to be revenue and i'm not no. here to, to be it, whether we're we're paying a, a government trapper or fish and wildlife to remove mitigate do whatever with these problem bears or having a hunter pay it, there's there's really not a balance sheet that's going to be a plus and minus no. you're never going to make money on these predators but i really do think that we should be utilizing the tool of the hunter in bear management yeah and i mean you look at you know i mentioned bear foundation earlier and it's, it's rewarding to work with people that that believe in conservation that are that are stewards of the land that are also hunters and i mean there's people that provide a great on the ground works that that aren't hunters as well and i appreciate that uh, but seeing the these people and, and how they the respect for the wildlife and again it's hard to explain to someone who doesn't who doesn't see that that they just view hunting as killing and it's much more than just killing and that reverence and that respect for the wildlife and it's fun to work with people that are the ones that are hunting them but are also the biggest conservationists for those species yeah and but, i i think the challenge comes in too that you know hollywood has had a large role in that is that they depict hunters as these just bloodthirsty people just shooting up everything that they see and so as little kids they're seeing that and so they're you know if they're not growing up like dave and i and yourself they don't understand it like sure. the, the, when they see that depicted, they're like, well, hunters are just out there winging bullets. They don't, they don't really care about the animals. And it's like, whoa, you know, you haven't been on a hunt with me, you know, yeah. or, or with, with David or, or whatever, you know, because it is very much a respect thing. And, and it's, it's a blessing to have that. Meet, I mean, it's one know? of the few things in society that the notion of ethics is act, actually taught before you can do it. You yep. know, we don't, we can't regulate ethics, but we should talk about it. And then hunter safety, you're taught about those things. And now we've incorporated discussing the proper use of social media and things like that to protect mm -hmm. that, that, that privilege to hunt fish and trap. And it's, it's such an important thing that we as a community do that education. You know, these foundations you're talking about, they do a great job. Mm -hmm. And when you hear those people talk about why they hunt, it's never because, Oh, I got to kill this. You know, it's like, you know, I went and I harvested this animal. It's so beautiful. It was just such an experience. Then they tell you the story. And that's the part that always gets me because it's the story of the experience getting to that point of the harvest and then also sharing that meat or whatever yeah. they get from that harvest with their family and friends. Well, and I mean, taking out a disabled kid on a hunt, like a once in a lifetime opportunity, it makes me tear up watching mm -hmm. those. And, and they're also out there helping dig in bear boxes. And there's, there's an entire segment that will use things as an agenda and venue to promote their belief systems without doing on the ground work. And that's why I appreciate people that do the on the ground work to try to, especially with bears, try to reduce conflict potential through securing attractants. And there's, there's NGOs that aren't associated with hunting that will put their money where their mouth is. And, and I respect them more than those that just speak and don't 
have any actions. And we have a lot of these hunting groups that are extremely active as far as being on the ground, helping to reduce those conflicts. And that's, that's what matters to me. Makes a lot of sense. We got to talk about our last sponsor here, David. So bow spider, what's new? I I know you guys have something new coming up. Uh, you know, it's been asked since we first launched Bow Spider because I'm a I'm a compound hunter. I'm a DIY wilderness elk hunter. It's kind of really all I care about doing, but it will work in your tree stand. And with tree stands comes crossbows, and so now uh, it's going to work with your crossbow, which has uh, been requested. And the, it'll be <laughs> it'll be in the stores later this spring. It'll be on the website later this spring. So if you've got uh, somebody that maybe has shoulder issues that is aging into a crossbow i mean they're they're legal here in wyoming mm-hmm. as archery tackle and we're going to get into that here in a second with dan and ask him about <laughs> kind of some tackle minimum requirements but yeah that's the the big one for bow spider is we're uh, we're going to be on the road till about august whether we're at total archery challenge or indoor events you know western hunt expo great american outdoor show in harrisburg pa portland expo so we're gonna be at a lot of shows every other weekend i'll be in a booth so if you want to come by and see me that's that's why i'm there for sure but <laughs> yeah. uh yeah th- that's what's new and let's let's hop into and well here real ahead. quick when the product's available go to bowspider.com you can pick those up um straight off the website and yeah it's just an exciting new product that everybody's been waiting for so it's coming soon they hound me all the time and, and <laughs> even a couple guys have bought it got it to their house, opened it up and said, Oh, I realized it didn't work for my crossbow. Can I return it? Yes, certainly. But I mean, I do, I need the huge, big red disclaimer. I I'm, I'm a compound bow hunter guys. I, but I get it. Uh, we actually had a, uh, a gentleman draw an out of state elk tag and he had had rotator cuff surgery on both shoulders earlier in that spring. And he worked all summer trying to get up to the 55 pound minimum and he just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And he's like, I don't want to turn my tag in. I don't want to. I'm like, crossbows are legal dude go grab one and you know and he did and that was where the light bulb kind of came on for me is because guys have been requesting i'm like yeah you, you crossbow guys are weird go away <laughs> and yes i said it out loud and you can you could get after me but after seeing him struggle to carry that thing through the woods because on a sling it's bouncing off his leg right and it's it's heavy enough and awkward enough when we're going up a steep trail where i've got both my hands on hiking poles and going he's back there just cussing this crossbow i'm like and we kept buckling it on his backpack for him and then we'd have to get to the top of the ridge and unbuckle and hand it to him you don't feel like you can be a solo hunter with a crossbow so yeah bow spider is going to open up a a whole world of a spot and stock archery but i will say whether you're using a crossbow or a vertical bow if especially these out-of-state guys you know it, we don't shoot at hair we we we, we pick six point bulls right make sure you know <laughs> what your target is and you're shooting behind it this, this idea of I'm just going to cock and lock and shoot at anything that moves, I, I I don't know where it came from. And it seems to be a little more prevalent in the crossbow community that I'm just set up and ready to go and hair trigger. But, yeah, definitely identify your target. Yeah, and sure. with, with the crossbows, they they scare me because you can carry them with, a, with an arrow cocked and loaded, right? They're more of a rifle than they are a traditional bow. And I did hear a story, and we're, we're going to ha- harp on safety here for a second. A compound guy killed his hunting buddy just by walking into the back of him. They were stalking up a road. There was elk in the road. This was in the Pacific Northwest. And the guy in the back had an arrow knocked up. The guy in the front stopped. The guy in the back was focused on the elk, not his buddy up front, and pushed that broadhead right through his kidney and killed him. So No kidding. No kidding. He bled out before he got to the hospital. And, I mean, it happens every year, guys. So just because it's not a gun and it doesn't throw a bullet, 
you know, you got a you got a sharp pointy stick that will will cut arteries and you'll bleed out pretty dang quick. Yikes! So like that for thousands of years, yes, for thousands of years, <laughs> yes. Safety is a it that it kind of scares me, especially yeah. here in Alaska with with knives. When we were on Kodiak, I was kind of got after the guys a little bit when we were trying to break down critters this fall. We were, we were very successful on a goat and blacktail hunt in Sitka, but it's seventy mile plane flight to the hospital and yeah, the yeah. plane might be a day away. Right. So yeah, yeah, you got to pay attention to what you're doing. The you got to have some backup safety equipment and be conscientious of that. But I do want to know what is, what is kind of the minimum legal recommendation and then kind of your personal recommendation for bears. Bears are as far as hunting equipment, whether archery or rifle. Well, I, I think you already alluded to it and we have minimum requirements as far as poundage and, and calibers. And well, I mean, it's based on the cartridge. Uh, but the the main thing is again knowing your target, but also practicing and, and knowing where the vitals are. Shot placement, shot placement 100%. is all about it. Um, I'm not going to tell someone they need to have a, an 80 pound bow when or, 55 or a 50 is legal. Cal, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, so um, I mean, Fred Bear, one of the most famous videos of killing a brown bear is him with a 45 pounder. He killed everything with a 45 pound um, and non wheeled bow, of course, but. Uh, I think that there's minimum requirements and, and that's done just based on penetration and, and the hides of a bear, but mainly be comfortable with, with the gun or bow that you're using shot placement. and shot placement and knowing where, and, um, you know, bears are a little different shot placement than an ungulate. So that's important to know. And, and there's a lot of information about that. And that was one thing, you know, when we did our, the mandatory training for the grizzly bear hunt. We went through that and we actually had like moving videos of bears and showed people where the shot placement is. And, and so, especially if you're on a bait, baited situation, you have time. And so make sure you have a caliber that's legal that you're comfortable with and know where to take that shot, when and where to take it. Yeah. Because they are built really well. And if you hit them in the shoulder, yeah, you know, that bone is pretty tough. Yeah. And I mean, there's, uh, yeah, it, but it's it's up to you know it's our privilege as, as hunters to to do things ethically and it doesn't matter what species you're talking about if it's a squirrel or a, or an elk as far as I'm concerned and so it's about that and, and knowing your target and we talked about this already especially with bears you know there's different species out there but um but knowing your target and and knowing your shot and being comfortable with the shot before you take it I think black bears are just so fascinating and it's been fun to listen to you talk about them but I want to ask you another question and then that is what are some little known things about black bears that the general populace just isn't aware of? Like, are there any unique aspects mm-hmm. to a black bear that, you know, like the, the implant, delayed implantation implantations was, unique. That um, blew my mind. So, you know, the fact that, that grizzly bears have their offspring with them a year longer than a black bear. And so uh, when black bears go into fall, black bears and grizzly bears as yearlings, the yearlings go into the den with the female for grizzly bears, but they, they'll, they'll split off with black bears. And so really? there's some different maternal traits. And that's why we can see black bear populations grow a little quicker than grizzly bear populations. Um, you know, that whole climbing, the, the different claws and the whole, the evolutionary things through time is very interesting to me. And the, the the less aggressive behavior of a black bear and the, the defense mechanism built in with climbing trees and that's why they're more associated with forested areas obviously they like uh, trees yeah and so it's interesting there talk about the medial ridge between a black bear and a grizzly bear as far as it's just the size difference there's more muscle attributed to to a grizzly bear so you need more more of that bone to to 
for that to attach. Yeah. That's going to increase the grizzly bear's bite, the bite force strength. Yeah, and so the bite strength of a grizzly bear. I think the brown hyena, I think, is like the highest bite force of any yep. of any predator predatory mammal. Um, but and if you've seen, not that not that black bears don't, but even yeah, like if you see the skull, the, the sagittal crest that that is that runs in the spine of there those older grizz it's so pronounced and because yeah their their heads are there's just so much muscle and that's what we see in some of these scenarios and it can be with black bears there's, there's such a bite force in a defensive encounter with grizzly bears they, they're not trying to kill a person but we've had a few people that we know in the past that were just bit and because of where they were um there's an individual in yellowstone unfortunately that hit the femoral and just couldn't get it stopped but that bite force is one bite can cause what you need to do. And so we de- definitely do see that in grizzly bears. And but, I mean, is that kind of some evolution of their predatory skills is because the grizzly bears are more trying to bite through the spinal column of an ungulate and kill it? Yeah. And that's part of it. And they, you know, they also have the, obviously the extra, they do more digging than black bears. And so they, that that's where the hump is, is extra muscle up there as well. Uh, and I, I think there's more shoulder and muscle mass that you see in a grizzly bear as compared to a black bear. So there's definitely a, a profile difference between the two. Not, yeah, not, not only is there a color difference, and you could have a color phase black bear that's yeah, similar. Yeah, absolutely. And we always teach that color is misleading. Color and size are misleading, but the, Shape the facial profile um, is different. Uh, but there's always anomalies. You know, they can look like that. And I mean, a giant boar grizzly bear is obviously a giant boar grizzly bear. But um, it's those intermediary subadults. When you start mixing males and females, it can be it can be tricky. And we do it um, across basically wherever grizzly bears and black bears co-occur. They send us pictures almost weekly, like name the animal, because it might mm-hmm. be an area where we don't normally see grizzly bears. And it's never, well, every once in a while it's like unanimous, but there's always a couple, well, I'm not sure. And, and so, yeah, even for the experts that, that have been doing this for their entire lives. It's not cut and dry. So, yeah. I, I will say my experience, you know, because I hunt pretty close to GYE, is uh, in the trail tracks. It's pretty easy to tell the difference yeah. between two if you've got good muddy tracks yep. in the trail. I mean, you get this big, big track with big old claws out there. Yeah, but, yeah. So, and we've seen, you know, uh, the big thing we teach is that that first digit on the in, inside, like where your thumb would be, is lower on a black bear, and that's associated with climbing. But we see those big old hammer toe black bears too in this country, and like some of the biggest black bears I've seen are on the on the Wind River Reservation. And um, it's if you don't see that fifth toe, that you gotta you again. The tracks are what you're probably gonna see for the most part. But look for those claws and where that that fifth toe or first toe is oriented, and you can tell the difference. So another question on that: if if it's a full full grown boar grizzly in Wyoming and a male black bear. What's the size difference? A lot bigger for grizzly bear. And, uh, you know, our black bears, a 300 pound black bear is really big for Wyoming and they do get bigger. They get over 400. Um, I've never seen one, but I I know there are some 500 pounders out there. And and in fact, I know there was one in Bighorns last year harvested that they had a scale for, uh, but grizzly bears will get up to 700 pounds here. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that the eastern black bears are bigger than our grizzly bears. You know, yeah. they're getting 800 pounders pretty regular. But, but they're so caloric take. food. Yeah, they're I mean, caloric <laughs> intake. They're living in a cornfield and, <laughs> they do. and they're combining it and they, they get down to the last row and then four bears like go running out. Yeah, yeah, in the Midwest. I've yeah. seen videos of that. And I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> and so, but again, it's about 
you know, you can, you can grow as much as the food that's available. And so our, yeah, our, our black bears are, are, are smaller than those Eastern bears and they're smaller than our, than our grizzly bears here, but, um, but they're, they overlap. And so, in fact, like the biggest bear, black bear I ever handled was on, in the reservation, working with the tribal, with the tribes and the fish and wildlife service. And it was over 400 and we came up to it and I, all I saw was the, the back end of it. And, and we were trying to catch grizz on the wine, on the wind river side and thought we'd finally caught one, but it was a black bear, but <laughs> it was still pretty cool to see that big of a black bear. That's and, impressive. Um, yeah. And so, and we get, we get several 300 pounders in the, you know, above lander in that country. And so that, that's a big, I mean, that's a big black bear for Wyoming. They're not all, and again, like grizzly bears are not all a thousand pounds. Like everybody says, we've had a couple 700 pounders and 45 plus years of capture. So. It's just when they're running at you at full speed, they probably look like they're a thousand well, pounds. But I, I mean, there, there was that video of a, of a grizzly bear killing a calf up out of Crandall. And that was, we, we knew cause we caught the female. She was just right around 250 and the calf was outweighed her and she could pull that calf down easily enough. So. Mm -hmm. super powerful raw energy yeah and the bite force not to be messed with i still think of that grizzly bear taking down that bison up in yellowstone oh, yeah. people were watching it and filming it is like wow that's a powerful animal i mean once they put their mind to it there's not much that they can't accomplish i guess put it that way mm -hmm. well i really appreciate you coming on the podcast this has been a lot of fun as it always is you're just a wonderful gracious guest so i appreciate you taking the time because i know you guys are always busy. Yeah. There's always something to something to handle, something to do. If people wanted more information on hunting black bears, uh, where do they go? Just check out our website. Um, just I would just Google bear management, Wyoming Game and Fish, grizzly bear, black bear management, and there's a lot of information there. And there's a lot of a lot of safety information that's really good as far and depending on your level of interest or how ADHD you might be. There's a lot of videos and there's a lot of interactive things if you don't mm -hmm. want to do a lot of reading. And so, but we try to, we have printable material. We have things you can read. There's, there's quizzes you can take on black bear identification and things like that. And so uh, there's a lot of information there for people who want. And again, reach out to your local game and fish people. We like to talk about what we do. So one question that, you know, has kind of run in circles is a little bit, um, and we can preface it with, is there a difference in reaction with bear spray as opposed to black bears or grizzly bears? Are they pretty much, is it effective on both? Yeah, it's effective on both. I don't know if it's ever been really tested to, to see a notable difference, but I would expect it, it would, if anything, it'd be more effective on a black bear, I would think. So I've talked to a few guys that have not been charged by a bear, right? And having been charged by a bear, I'm a little more humble and, and very respectful of them. Yeah. I packed Two cans of bear spray. One goes in my pants cargo pocket. One gets clipped on the hip belt of my backpack. But I also pack a, a firearm and a chest rig, yep. right? And that comes from the experience of I haven't had time to get my firearm out when I've been charged. Sure. Right? And a lot of times I don't even know there's a bear there. I'm just... and. I, Granted, we've talked about this. I'm doing something a little different. I'm I'm sneaking through the woods sounding like prey, right? Sure, and I'm yeah. off trail yep. majority of the time. So for the standard you know, day hiker that's going to go hike in Wyoming, what would you recommend as far as bear safety well, with that in mind? Again, awareness of your surroundings is all, I mean, it's all a mental thing to me. No amount of bear spray or whatever magic caliber of gun is, is going to make 
be the difference between being an idiot in the woods. <laughs> and so um, you have to be mentally and physically prepared. Uh, but, you know, if, 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 if you're being smart about it and it's in an area that has bears, you know, stay on the main trails, make noise in areas that might be blind to a bear, blind turn or something like that. The big thing you're trying to do is not surprise any of these animals. And, and I would suggest if you have the ability to carry both, if you're comfortable with it, carry a firearm and bear spray. If you if you're not familiar with either, I would suggest a bear spray because you're, there's more more forgiving, I guess, put it that way. And um, I'm a fan of having as many options as available <laughs> as possible. But I mean, I, it's it's so important to me to be mentally prepared before you ever put yourself in that situation. Yeah, because like you said, if you've been, I've been most of the a charge when it means business is not like you get time to think now, which one should I choose? And it's, it's quick and it's quicker than you can usually draw either one. If you don't know what's coming. The, the last charge that uh, I had was a, a very big adult boar grizzly and uh, the terrain laid so such that there was a roll in front of us and then kind of a saddle below. And he, he was on a deer carcass that we didn't know. We're just hiking down sure. the hill loaded with elk meat. I've got trekking pole in each hand, just going down Need to go about a mile down to the road, right? No big deal. We maybe went 300 yards before we heard and saw just a flash of movement for a second, right? And my brain said, elk running away. We just harvested an elk, right? I just saw the color. It was dark chocolate. So I'm like, well, moose. I'm like, this is way high and way, you know, for a moose. All of a sudden, that bear popped up over that roll because he got under that roll underneath us and was coming at us. I thought Mm. he was going away, right? All I did was hold my trekking poles and wave them in the air and scream because... It was literally 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, and he was there. Yeah, it's quick. It was quick. So I've talked to all these guys, oh, I don't, I don't dare back bear spray. It's, it's useless. It's this and that. I, I look at them, and I'm like, that's my go-to number one and number yeah, two. Yeah, I mean, I instinctively, now it's different what I do, of course, but I instinctively go for the bear, the bear spray. spray first. Yeah. Well, I have had two accidental discharges with bear spray. <laughs> one, Well, one wasn't accidental. We tested one at a campground at the table, set it on the table. We were setting up camp. An hour later, we were, we were huddled in a circle about like this, and somebody grabbed that spray just to, to pick it up and go put it away. There was just enough of that uh, aerosol yeah. capsation left on the nozzle that when, when they moved it, they didn't touch the nozzle, nothing. It, it atomized in the air, and all three of us instantly started coughing. Yeah, it's it's, it's nasty. Up. I mean, my, one of my incidentals was I've got like an old-fashioned... <laughs> dartboard like the old school the sharp point darts okay. in my in my garage i got it like a garage and bar oh i can see where this is going yeah and uh my boy who well he's five now but i think he was four and like any good father i was teaching him how to throw sharp objects <laughs> like a four-year-old <laughs> and i had an old can of bear spray just it was sitting in the corner and he threw it and, and the dart went flopping and we're sitting there and i hear this I'm like, what is that? And I look, and there's like orange bubbling out of it. Oh, no. And luckily, it was so small. It wasn't like, it didn't, wasn't aerosol, and it was very old. And But I, I just remember grabbing it, like throwing it out in the yard like a grenade or something <laughs> for it to explode. But we kept the garage doors open for a while, and the bar was closed. So. Well, I almost ruined a deer hunt. We had uh, backpacks on the front of the four-wheeler. I was taking my wife, and we drove up the road, parked it. We're getting the packs off the four-wheeler oh. to go hiking. The safety cap had come off. And it was the one that was on my, you know, shoulder strap. As I was putting it on my elbow, just barely, but it was aimed right at my face. So it, it uh, discharged it. And I just, just a little bit in one eye. Instantly, I'm on the ground screaming in pain. Like, and thankfully we parked 
10 feet away from a six inch wide <laughs> inch deep creek and i'm over there with my face yeah. shoved in it oh, you know man. there's snow on either side and i'm just whapping face in my or snow in my face so that stuff oh. is you know guys that seriously say i would never pack it i don't trust it i'm like i can uh, spray a pretty good defensive yeah. wall of that pretty quick a lot more accurate than i can get to my pistol yeah my i mean and my thought process is why limit yourself it's not like they're heavy yeah. or cumbersome just if you have it take both if you want to use it yeah have that option yeah again it is not mosquito repellent do not spray yourself with it <laughs> you will instantly regret oh, it patrick later that day <laughs> i don't know what i i took a coat off or did something there was some on the shoulder of the coat i think i went to brush oh. it off and then i had to itch the other eye and so now i got it in the other eye oh, no. and i'm taking a water bottle we've hiked like two miles and i'm rinsing my so that stuff is and it, yeah like you said it lingers for days and yeah it's brutal and that was one thing i you mentioned is you had an old can in the garage that you punctured and it barely sprayed right so i would definitely uh be be replenishing that can every yeah, few years there's a the expiration the expiration expiration dates for real and, and uh you know and we do we conduct bear spray giveaways um yep. and there yeah, was one in check Lando it out yeah year. we do one yeah. every year and for for anyone with a hunting and fishing license, come by. I mean, they go pretty quick. Yeah, uh, but not we, cheap we give we try to give out. We gave out almost five hundred cans last year. So, well, UDAP has a new holster, mm -hmm. newer. It's a plastic holster that it, it's it's really cool. And I have two of them. The hard plastic ones. The hard yeah. plastic because I kept either horseback or hiking with the uh, cloth ones. I'd lose the can. Yeah, it just it it work its way out, slide out, whatever. And those hard plastic ones. It, the can will still come off if I do something wrong. Yeah. But I can hear that sound of, oh, I need to pick that back right. up. I need, yeah. that's why I started packing two cans is I, I, I'd lose one and be like, I have no bear spray now. Yeah, that's not a good feeling. Especially yeah. if, you, if you're used to having bear spray and you're out. But yeah, um, and there's a lot of different options. There's a lot of different holsters that are, that are built. And um, again, it's just whatever you're comfortable with, practice, practice quick drawing it, literally. Yeah. I mean, it, and you should. Yeah, you, you should. should. If you really want, you can get do. an inert can to practice yeah, spray. Yeah, come to Game and Fish. We have a ton of inert cans, and we do we do bear spray, you know, demonstrations a lot. Yeah. And and so it is good to understand the mechanisms because everybody fumbles with the safety. Yep. And as you said, if there's a bear charging, it's not going to wait for you to get the safety up. So know how they work that. Yeah, I, I became a believer when I was a kid because there was a video they showed us at this bear training of a cow moose charging. Yeah one of the game and fish personnel, they unleashed this can of bear spray and that moose dropped. Sure. And I mean, frothed and kicked and did all kinds of stuff. I'm like, well, if it stops a cow moose, it's probably going to stop a bear. Yep. I've it, had it, it drawn on moose before. I haven't had to use it. They stop, but yeah. It is a less lethal option, but it's obviously a very viable option. We've spent a lot of time talking yeah. about it here and it is, I will continue to, whether I'm on Kodiak or interior Alaska or right here in Wyoming, I'll continue to carry two cans because... And and I'm gonna be carrying my pistol. Yep. Just I like to have options. And never and that, hurts. What, yeah. Be prepared, right? Yep. And again, if you're going out into bear country, it's always good to go in groups. You know, if you're going by yourself, you, there's a lot more potential that you're gonna get whacked by one if you get close. So, again, groups. But are one good. thing I will add too is, uh, you know, with black bears are across the state, so you have the potential to run into a black bear anywhere in Wyoming. Grizzly bears are pretty much throughout Northwest Wyoming, so there's always that potential. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of people that call. I'm going hiking up this trail. Are there any bears there? And I just say yes. <laughs> just <laughs> just bears, expect yeah. that there's going to be. There's wildlife. That's why you're going, right? Well, and so just 
Yeah. Whether there's a lot or a little, there's a chance. I live down the road here. We're in the middle of farm country. For those of you who don't know where our studio is. 40 miles from any mountain. Yeah. Not (laughs) close to the mountains. And I remember one morning, because my dad worked for a game and fish back in the day, he got a call that there was a, there was actually a black bear and they wanted to know if I wanted to come see it. Cause they knew we were in the area, you know, the lander folks. Yeah. And I got to go see this black bear. It wandered into someone's trailer because they had the door crack for the dogs. <laughs> so this black bear, it's, it's just a young one, yeah. you know, it comes in and this gal feels something brushing up against her foot. She's in bed. She feels this thing brushing up against her foot thinks it's the dog, no big deal. Then she sits up and sees that it's a black bear and she screams and the bear goes flying (laughs) out the door, almost knocked the door off of the, off of the trailer. It goes up this huge cottonwood tree on, on their place. And I showed up after they had, you know, darted it and it was down on the ground and they were working it up. But yeah, I mean, they can be anywhere. Yeah. Even down here. You were talking about, uh, the, Laramie Cheyenne country of Itavu. Um, mm-hmm. I was over there at our headquarters once for some meeting or something. And they had a black bear show up at the Walmart distributing center, <laughs> which is on the interstate. Yeah. And I, I was like, it's like everywhere 80. I go, does this happen? But, <laughs> but it, you ended up catching a bear right there. Bear you know, track so it can Dan, happen. Huh? Yeah. It can happen anywhere. Yeah. But that's so. the beauty of Wyoming. Yeah, it is. And you know, we have a wild state and wild place and, I think it's cool because we have people like you that are dedicated to helping with that stewardship of that resource. Cause it truly is a resource. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing. So again, Dan, it's been awesome, man. Thank you so much yep, for taking guys. time oh, to come fun. on the show and until next time, yeah, we'll do this again. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation. And we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.